0: I loved the emotional rush of being scared. I still do, of course. I don't go out much to haunted houses, but I still love good, old-fashioned, scary stories. Listener
1: discretion is advised. So this case really raises the question, Are police officers investigated like regular people, or are they given special treatment, especially when death is involved? On the night that Jeremy Banks' girlfriend, Michelle O'Connell, was shot, his colleagues from the St. John's County Sheriff's Office walked onto the scene and immediately deemed her death a suicide. This is another case where there really isn't much investigating done in a gunshot death, and a person's life is treated pretty much like it doesn't matter. So let's get into it. When St. John's County Sheriff's deputies arrived at the St. Augustine home of Jeremy Banks on September 2, 2010, they found his 24-year-old girlfriend, Michelle O'Connell, lying on the floor with an intraoral gunshot wound to the head and dozens of prescription painkillers in her pocket. Please get someone to my house. Please send my girlfriend. I think she just shot herself. There's blood everywhere. Banks yelled hysterically to the 911 operator, so hysterically, in fact, that the woman called him ma'am several times. He was extremely offended by this and the audio and made sure to go ahead and lower his voice and then got real fucking calm and said, it's sir, it's sir. Anyway, I digress. So upon arrival, deputies found Banks, a fellow St. John County Sheriff's deputy, crouched at the bathroom door of the master suite, clutching his phone. The gun was found on Michelle's left with the tactical light switched on. Later, pictures taken at the scene revealed a second shot had been fired into the carpet. Despite the efforts of the first responders, Michelle was pronounced dead at close to 11.48 p.m. that night. So St. Augustine, Florida is an absolutely beautiful town that boasts the oldest city in America. Castillo de San Marcos, known simply as the Fort to Locals, is the oldest masonry fort in the continental U.S., and Ponce de Leon's Fountain of Youth is also located there. So this is a very old city, absolutely mired in history and scenic beauty. It's a small town of roughly 14,500 people. So as you can imagine, there's not a lot of violent crime here. I looked up crime rates in 2008, and it said it was slightly higher than the national average, but like literally by 1%, and murder rates were like non-existent. So it's an incredible place, and it holds a pretty much a huge significance. I'm not going to tell you why for myself and my husband. Um, We have had some great times there, including at a location featured in this case, the St. Augustine Amphitheater. Enough about the underrated city of St. Augustine. Let's get back to the case. Deborah Maynard, a former St. John's County Sheriff's Office deputy, was on the scene immediately after the 911 call was placed. Deborah was having coffee when she got the call that shots were fired, which is the signal 18, and she rushed to the address As she entered the house, she saw a pair of feet in the doorway When she walked into the master bedroom She saw a woman lying on the floor On her back with her legs slightly bent The woman was fully clothed in jeans a t-shirt and ballet flats Deborah didn't touch the woman. She just looked down at her face The woman's eyes had already turned gray And blood was coming from her mouth, streaming straight down toward the floor. In the corner of the room, in the bathroom doorway, she saw Jeremy Banks crouched down holding a phone. He identified himself as a deputy, and Debra recognized him immediately. She noticed a duty weapon on the floor with its tactical light on, lying to the left of the woman. Soon, Debra Sergeant entered the room and yelled to get Banks out of there. Obviously, it's an active crime scene. They're treating it that way at this point anyway. So Deborah took him outside, and shortly after, Michelle O'Connell was pronounced dead. At this point, Deborah was ordered to go make family notifications of Michelle's death. Outside the home, some deputies and detectives came to the conclusion that Michelle's death was a suicide, okay? And some of them were later interviewed as part of the investigation, I didn't have any suspicions that it was anything other than suicide. I think that's what we were all kind of discussing, but just making sure that we covered our bases. And that was St. John's County Detective Jessica Hines. And she is heard saying that in a recording of the interview for the investigation. It appeared she had committed suicide. St. John's County Corporal Mark Shan said in his interview, Banks also gave an interview the night of Michelle's death, which is sworn testimony. Banks claims that he and Michelle had gone with some friends to the St. Augustine Amphitheater to see a concert. He claimed that they argued after the show and also earlier in the day, and ultimately, they decided to break up. He claimed that it was amicable. After the breakup, Banks said he walked outside to say goodbye to the two friends who came over after the concert. Then he sat on his motorcycle in the garage contemplating the night's event. That's when he claims he heard a pop and immediately knew that it was the sound of a gunshot. He ran into the house and says that the bedroom door was closed and locked. He screamed Michelle's name, and he heard a second pop. When he broke the door down, Banks said he found Michelle with a gunshot wound to the head. He did not administer CPR or offer her any aid, even though as an officer, he was trained to do so. When the St. John's Sheriff's Office responded, uh, they've already been told by one of their deputies that Michelle committed suicide by putting a gun in her mouth. When the sheriff saw the intraoral gunshot wound, he said, yep, this is a suicide. That's not a direct quote. Uh, And that was that. It was no longer a crime scene. Now it was the tragic scene of a suicide. Shortly after, Banks went to his parents' home and Michelle's body was taken to the morgue. When sheriff's deputies notified Michelle's family of her death, her mother, Patty O'Connell, said, they just said that she committed suicide. Quote, your daughter killed herself. She committed suicide. There's not a lot of tact in that statement, is there? Well, Michelle's family says there's absolutely no way that she committed suicide. Her friend and boss, Teresa Woodard, was a former teacher of Michelle's, so she'd known her for a good amount of time. She also says that there's no way Michelle would have done that. Michelle was a wonderful mother to her four-year-old daughter, Alexis. Weeks before her death, Michelle was working two to three jobs trying to provide for her daughter. She was a very driven woman, and her focus was on giving her daughter the best. Teresa actually hired Michelle at her child care center, and for the first time, Michelle had medical insurance. Michelle would finally get nights and weekends off and have time to actually be a mom and enjoy her life. She was so excited that she told Teresa that she was going to the doctor, even though she wasn't sick, just because she was so excited to have medical insurance. And isn't that a commentary on the American way of life? Just going, you know, being so excited to have a basic luxury. It's it's We call it a basic luxury. I believe it's a human right to be able to go to a doctor without going fucking bankrupt. But this woman was so excited just to have medical insurance. If you have medical insurance in the United States, don't take it for granted. This was on the day that she supposedly killed herself, on the day that she accepted her dream job full-time and was no longer going to have to work seven days a week. So the O'Connell family found it hard to believe that Michelle, a single mom who worked multiple jobs to support her daughter, would take her own life. Michelle had also made plans for the following week. In her appointment book, Found in the Car, Michelle had signed up for CPR training two days after her death. For two days after her death. Michelle also had plans to meet with her friend, Mindy Fox, on the night that she died. Yeah. Okay. So she's making plans. People who are suicidal typically don't make plans. I know it can happen out of nowhere, but you know, just not seeing a whole lot of signs, typical signs of someone being suicidal here. So Michelle's brother, Sean O'Connell and her sister, Chrissy O'Connell were outraged when they realized that the sheriff's office had spent only a few hours investigating before going ahead and ruling Michelle's death of suicide. The word suicide was thrown around right off the bat without any investigation, Chrissy O'Connell said. Two days after her death, medical examiner Frederick Hoban officially ruled Michelle's death a suicide. Michelle's family wanted an outside agency to investigate her case, you know, because they might be biased. But St. John's County Sheriff David Shore told them uh, he was not going to be doing that. So through various interviews, authorities constructed a timeline of the last hours of Michelle O'Connell's life. Michelle and Jeremy Banks went to a Paramore concert that night in 2010 at the St. Augustine Amphitheater, and Banks told detectives they argued before, during, and after the show. He said, we don't get along. We fight all the time. I mean, it's never, never bad fighting. It's always just arguing. And that was Banks. He was recorded saying that in an interview with St. John's County Sheriff's Office detectives. According to Chrissy O'Connell, her sister wanted to break up with Banks but decided to go to the show beforehand since she had already purchased the tickets in advance. I was like to Banks, hey, do you mind scooting over? If you're not going to have fun at the concert with my sister, I'm definitely going to. And that was her brother talking, which is fucking hilarious to me. My family would act that way too. Earlier that day, Michelle and Chrissy had lunch. Chrissy said that her sister talked about looking for a new apartment and that she was breaking up with Banks. We can probably see where this is going. Uh, i done some cases like this before where the wife, girlfriend, partner, whatever, tells her friend, I'm about to leave him. And then she ends up dead or disappeared. Story all this time, I guess. This was kind of a culmination. I was concerned with all the violence and how the relationship had turned, Chrissy O'Connell said. And yes, she did mention violence. Um, I'll get into that a little bit later, but nothing substantiated. She said... There's going to be a fight because he's going to want to go out after the concert, Chrissy said. And I said, don't even go to the concert because I knew Jeremy was rageful. I knew in my heart something was going to happen. Promise me one thing. Lexi will be happy and always have a good life. And that Michelle sent that text to her sister during the concert. And Chrissy wrote back, promise you what? That no matter what, Lexi will always be safe and loved. That's not sounding good. And Christy said, what's going on? I'm scared. But by the end of the concert, Michelle texted her sister, I'll be there soon. But, you know, Michelle never did pick up her daughter, Alexis. Banks told detectives that on the way home from the amphitheater, quote, she said, I'll have my things out by this weekend. And I said, are we breaking up? She said, yes. And I was like, all right. I raised my voice. She raised her voice. We argued. But when we got to the house, we were fine. Mm, Okay. So the walk from the amphitheater to Banks' car was 15 minutes, and it took another 30 minutes to get back to Banks and Michelle's house, so that puts them at 10.40 p.m. What's interesting is that both Banks and Michelle's friends followed them back to the house. According to their affidavits, they claim to have hung out for about 45 minutes, but that is impossible because that would mean that they left at 11.25 and the 911 call went out at 11.20 p.m. So if they were there, they would have heard the fatal shot. So clearly, their recollection is most likely off. Uh, Banks claimed that after 10 to 20 minutes, his friends left and he sat alone in the garage when he heard the popping sound. I knew exactly what it was, just instinct. And I said, shit. And I ran inside. I started screaming her name. The bedroom door was locked and I screamed her name again. I heard it go off again a second time. I ran into the living room. I grabbed the phone. I kicked the bedroom door in and I found her laying where she is. And this is Banks again in an interview to detectives. This is not proven or disproven that it happened this way. This is what he's claiming happened. So the only witness to Michelle's death is Jeremy Banks. A later police interview with Banks revealed that he had gained access to a report about the investigation, which... Uh, seems improper to me and is just shady as fuck. He said, I've already read the report. I know I probably shouldn't have. I just wanted to know what went down on the other side. And he told a fellow detective that. Many in the department later admitted to having doubts about what happened that night. When I first walked into the room, the first thought that went through my mind was, this is not good for Jeremy. And that was Sergeant Scott Beaver, who worked on the case. And he told investigators, I was in homicide for a few years and it didn't add up. But I didn't do more investigation into this. Mm. So a homicide detective, seasoned homicide detective, doesn't think this crime scene adds up. But he just went with the flow, I guess. So Deborah Maynard can still describe that night very clearly. She believes Michelle's death was covered up. And she was actually told by the sheriff verbatim that if they saw wrong from another deputy to just let it go and she claims that she actually lost her job because she wouldn't let Michelle's death go. Immediately, it was almost like they were taking Jeremy's word that she shot herself at that point, and that was Deborah speaking. We were told it was a suicide. They automatically said it was a suicide, though we are trained to investigate every scene as a homicide until proven otherwise, but they did immediately start calling it a suicide. Debra listened to the interview of Banks done by a detective, and they were joking about what and how much Banks had to drink that night. Listening to him talk, you'd have absolutely no idea that he just found his girlfriend's corpse. Debra was furious about the demeanor of both Banks and the detective. She didn't understand why he was laughing and joking. Um, It's definitely unsettling to hear the audio of the interview because it sounds like two friends just, you know, dicking around at the bar. The scene itself has a lot of red flags and, in my humble opinion, should have been investigated as, you know, something other than just a suicide, or I believe they should have brought in an unbiased outside agency. Deborah recalled details of the crime scene that stood out to her. The holster that held Banks' service weapon was a level three holster, and I had to look up what this means. So there are three levels of security to get the gun out of that holster. Not only do you have to use two fingers to push down simultaneously to disengage the locking mechanism, but you apparently have to reach around the back of it and grab the gun backwards to disengage the front lock. Deborah said that a civilian most likely would not be able to get that gun out of the holster. So how would Michelle know how to do that and do it fairly quickly as well? While the sheriff's department and Michelle's family are at odds over how she died, it is certain that she was killed with Banks's service weapon. When asked how Banks secured his firearm in the home, his attorney, Mac McLeod, said, quote, not well. All right. Well, at least he's honest, I guess. And McLeod said, I think that the policy was to secure your firearm, which primarily for law enforcement officers means that you put it in either a gun lock or in a secure place up higher so that children and things and other people in the house can't get into it. However, in practice, like other law enforcement officers, he came in, would take off his gun belt, and would place it on a chair somewhere else. Okay, so he did not secure his fucking gun at all. Deborah also mentioned something that no one else ever had when talking about the investigation. She said that when she walked through the living room on the night of Michelle's death, she saw a blanket covering the couch, and she could tell that there was something lying underneath it. When she lifted the blanket, she saw several suitcases, and Michelle's clothes. This is in the original police photo, so she's definitely not imagining anything here. She's not making anything up. It appears that Michelle had started to pack her bags and was indeed leaving. Why would Michelle pack her suitcases if she was going to kill herself? Not adding up to me. And why would blankets be thrown over the suitcases? Uh, Michelle certainly didn't do that, so who else would have been trying to hide that? I wonder. Also, Pills were found in Michelle's purse and also stuffed into her pants pocket, but they weren't hers. They were Jeremy Banks's prescription. Her toxicology report was clean and all of the pills were accounted for. To me and to others, including Deborah Maynard, this is looking like a staged crime scene. So David Shore, the St. John's County Sheriff, would later acknowledge that missteps were made by his department. Among them, the fact that Detective the deputies, failed to canvas the neighborhood for witnesses, failed to interview Michelle's family members, and failed to isolate, interview, and photograph Banks in a structured environment. Yes, uh, I would indeed call those missteps. As for why Banks didn't take Michelle's pulse or attempt any life-saving measures, his attorney, Mac McLeod, says, quote, I don't think his frame of mind was as a deputy at the time. I can't understand what this guy is saying. At the time, as I was saying, I think his frame of mind was completely shocked and freaked out. This guy doesn't speak professionally at all. It took four months, but Sheriff Shore finally gave in to the pressure from Michelle's family, knowing that his department's investigation had fallen short. He asked Florida state investigators to take another look at the case. The state of Florida hired an investigator by the name of Rusty Rogers. Rusty was an FDLE or Federal Department of Law Enforcement detective. And he came to the conclusion that Jeremy Banks murdered Michelle. So that's obviously not the outcome that Shora wanted. Rogers went over the Emmys report and saw that he pretty much just glanced at Michelle's body and ruled her death a suicide. No questions asked, no tests done, really nothing. So a few months later, during the state's investigation, that very same medical examiner was convinced that Michelle's death wasn't a suicide. He believed that she was, quote, shot by another, and that is exactly what he wrote in his amended report. In his investigation, Rogers found something that the sheriff's department had not. Two women who said they heard two screams for help from a woman and two gunshots the night Michelle O'Connell died. So if the sheriff's department had canvassed the neighborhood, they would have found these witnesses just by doing the bare minimum. The two girls heard her scream for help. If she was suicidal, if she was killing herself, she was not going to scream for help. And her mother, Patty O'Connell, said that. As for the two gunshots, Sheriff Shore says it's not uncommon for some suicide victims to fire off a test shot before firing the fatal shot. He really seems to have an answer for everything without actually investigating anything, doesn't he? Following his investigation, Rogers presented his findings to the medical examiner, Frank Hoban. According to a recorded interview with Hoban by Jacksonville reporter Ann Schindler, Hoban said that Michelle O'Connell's death was, quote, probably a homicide.
0: We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems.
1: And I said that based on this. I would amend the autopsy and change the manner of death from suicide to homicide. Hoban said that in the recording of his interview with Schindler. I did that, but just internally, I mean. I didn't, I didn't send it out. It wasn't filed with anybody. It wasn't sent to the funeral director. wasn't disclosed. Anybody except the state attorney. So Hoban didn't officially file the amended death certificate, uh, he told Schindler, because he was told to hold off by the state attorney while the investigation continued. And this obviously upset her mother because they were close to doing the right thing and amending her death certificate. But went ahead and said, you know, we're not going to do that. We're going to do things a little differently. So Hoban was later reprimanded by the state medical examiner's office for keeping that document and others at his home rather than at the medical examiner's office. Yeah, that's not proper handling of documentation, especially in the investigation of a death. So a new medical examiner, pre Predrog Bulick, was brought in who believes Michelle O'Connell's death was a suicide. And it feels like we're just going back and forth here. In his investigation, Rogers also called in a crime scene reconstructionist with four decades of experience. The reconstructionist performed a field test outside to see if Michelle shot herself or was shot by someone else based on where the shell casings landed in his test. His conclusion, this was a homicide. St. St. John's County Sheriff David Shore, that's a mouthful, was furious at this and he seemed to take personal offense at the mixed results of the investigation. He wrote a nearly 200-page report attempting to discredit State Investigator Rusty Rogers, and he was actually able to stop the investigation, which is surprising to me, because to be honest, I did not think a sheriff had that kind of power. Sheriff Shore said that Jeremy had no part in Michelle's death and that SGCSO, which I'm just going to start using that little acronym for St. John's County Sheriff's Office, investigated thoroughly. He ridiculed the field test over the fact that it was done in an open field, and that it didn't take into account the variables at the scene, such as walls, a ceiling, furniture, and Michelle's extremities. They did their own investigation, Sean O'Connell, Michelle's brother, said. They investigated uh, themselves, and then later on, they finally did bring in FDLE, who paints this picture that it's not jiving, it doesn't look good, and they don't like it. So they attack the FDLE agent and go after him hard, to the nail. Couldn't agree with them more. That's exactly what's going on here. In the absence of evidence that Michelle's death was not by suicide, special prosecutor Brad King had to inform the O'Connell's. And they said that he called them in for a meeting and basically just said there's not enough evidence. So that Michelle fam- Michelle's family just felt like they were pushed aside. And they also said that the meeting felt very, very hostile. Her mother said that it was the second worst day of her life, you know, with the first being losing her daughter. So there you have it. Uh, Michelle's death can only be investigated if the sheriff allows her case to be reopened. And Sheriff Shore used his power at every turn to stop that from happening. Well, Jeremy Banks was also angered by someone actually investigating Michelle's death. And he filed a civil suit against Rusty Rogers in 2013 for allegedly violating his civil rights. And my eyes just rolled so hard into the back of my head, they might be stuck. In 2018, a federal judge dismissed the deputy's lawsuit against the Florida Department of Law Enforcement agent who had investigated the death. U.S. District Court Judge Brian Davis of the Middle District of Florida granted Agent Rusty Rogers motion for final summary judgment in the case filed against him by one Jeremy Banks. It is ordered and adjudged that pursuant to this court's order, entered March 30th, 2018, judgment is hereby entered in favor of the defendant, Rusty Ray Rogers, and against plaintiff Jeremy Banks, that the plaintiff take nothing and the action be dismissed on the merits. And that was what the subsequent judgment read. He's a little brat. Sorry. Banks brought the suit against Rogers for supposedly violating his civil rights during the investigation into Michelle's death. The claim alleged, among other things, that Rogers had provided false information to obtain search warrants and had unlawfully detained Banks at one point during the investigation. While Banks is busy trying to personally file suit against a law enforcement officer, two citizen detectives just couldn't shake Michelle's case and the feeling that she did not commit suicide. John Taylor and Javier LeVay met at a podcast convention in North Carolina and decided to combine their efforts for a special on ID Discovery called Citizen PI. John, a former Secret Service agent, focused on the facts while Javier did the storytelling. They decided to look into Michelle's case, but quickly learned that there was already a man in St. Augustine that had been investigating privately. Eli Washtock had been investigating Michelle's death extensively to the point that he had hired private investigators, forensic experts, and blood spatter experts, etc. Obviously, they wanted to get in touch with Eli and join forces, share information. But when they tracked Eli down, they were absolutely floored. 38 year old Eli Washtock was dead he'd been murdered in his home and Michelle's mother Patty believes that he was murdered because he was investigating her daughter's death Eli was murdered on January 31st 2019 so John and Javier began their investigation after Eli's death that was a game changer because you know while Michelle's death looks very suspicious there's still the remote possibility that it was a suicide But when a man who was very seriously investigating her death ends up murdered himself, that's when you get into conspiracy and cover-up territory. Eli's death was ruled a homicide by the medical examiner's office. At the time, detectives claimed to maybe have a suspect, but nothing ever came of it. Investigators also said that there wasn't any sign of forced entry into his condo, so they believed it was someone Eli might have known. They theorized that it may have been a robbery gone wrong, but Eli's sister said that there was no money taken from a jar inside the condo that he kept. Even though Eli's death occurred in St. John's County, the Putnam County Sheriff's Office was asked to take over the investigation to avoid a potential conflict of interest, you know, because of the St. John County Sheriff's Office involvement in Michelle O'Connell's case, you know, because he was literally the only person investigating it. Um. So if they have a conflict investigating his murder, wouldn't they have a conflict investigating the death of a girlfriend of one of their deputies? I don't know. Explain it to me, please. I guess I'm too stupid to understand. Eli's murder remains unsolved. Why would someone want to kill Eli Washtalk? though? The motive wasn't robbery. So what was it? The only other notable or controversial thing about Eli was his intense investigation into Michelle O'Connell's death. Patty O'Connell, Michelle's mother, said that Eli had evidence that no one had seen before in the 10 years since Michelle's death. There's no statute of limitations on murder, so if he had new evidence, Michelle's case could have been reopened if someone were willing to do so. Patty had email correspondence from Eli, and he kept her up to date on where he was with his investigation. While he never cooperated with Eli, Sheriff Shore eventually ended up calling the citizen detective John and giving him an interview out of nowhere because he apparently respected his background as a Secret Service agent. Shore said that the real story wasn't, quote, Banks killing that girl, real sensitive. It was that, quote, Banks almost got crucified for something he didn't do. He said to come and spend a few hours with his guys and that they'd, quote, change his mind creepy also fucking insensitive killed that girl good god well prior to his murder eli had actually hired a forensic blood expert named anna cox to do a blood spatter report but she never finished it in the police photos there's also a bloody shirt above michelle's head that was not tested as evidence but it's very apparent in a picture michelle's head was on the floor and the shirt was drenched with blood but it was up on a day bed like above her not Not anywhere near her, which makes zero sense. And Banks had no explanation for the shirt. But the blood spatter analysis eventually completed by Cox made it clear that someone must have moved this shirt after it came into direct contact with the gunshot wound on Michelle's head. This is evidence that hadn't been revealed before and that Eli was about to discover. Anna stopped investigating after Eli's murder and would have probably never finished her work if John and Javier hadn't contacted her. Eli also had documents from the second autopsy. Yes, Michelle did have a second autopsy. Her family hired an independent forensic pathologist because they just weren't buying Jeremy's version of events. In 2016, six years after her death, Michelle's body was exhumed and Dr. Bill Anderson performed another autopsy. This autopsy found something that the first one missed. Dr. Anderson, former deputy chief medical examiner for Orange County, Florida, said Michelle's death was a homicide while examining the x-rays taken during Michelle O'Connell's original autopsy, original autopsy. Yes. Anderson noticed that there was another injury on her body. Dr. Anderson found blunt force trauma to her mandible, fracturing it so severely that it broke into two pieces and would have incapacitated her. He said that anyone who assumed that this was a suicide must have been unaware of the fracture and the fact that someone else had to have shot her. This was a completely separate injury that wasn't consistent with a gunshot wound. According to Dr. Anderson, Michelle was violently hit in the head prior to being shot. After Shore learned of the exhumation, he issued a statement about the family saying in part, molesting Michelle from her place of rest using some freelance type approach is beyond unconventional. It was reprehensible. Well, it's their fucking relative and you're not looking into it. So get over it. Even if he doesn't agree with it or whatever, he should in no way, shape or form ever speak publicly release or whatever to a family using those words. And that was her brother talking. And he said that statement really showed Sheriff Shores character. And I would agree. And despite rumors and statements to the contrary, Dr. Anderson performed this autopsy totally pro bono. So news of the fracture, brought into question the work of Hoban, the original medical examiner. Banks's attorney, Mac McLeod, said that Hoban, quote, noted mandibular separation. It's not in the autopsy report. It's in his field notes. Um, I would you not put that in your report, guy. Like, really, why? I, that makes no sense to me. Dr. Anderson said that the fact that that was left out of the autopsy report was, quote, very disturbing, and I would agree with him. And he said, because if everything else is very carefully described and you leave out a major finding from your report, it's not good practice. And it's significant because Dr. Anderson said the fracture reveals how Michelle O'Connell could have actually died. And he said, the only explanation that I can see that's reasonable is that there was another force, a blow to the chin that broke the mandible prior to the time that gunshot wound was inflicted. In my opinion, it was a homicide. Banks has always denied hurting Michelle the night of her death, but he has no explanation as to how Michelle explained such a severe injury. Dr. Anderson said it is possible in some cases that a shot could split the jaw, but he doesn't believe that's the case with Michelle O'Connell based on the evidence he reviewed. And he said there was a gunshot wound to the mouth that put a hole in the tongue but didn't do any other damage to the teeth to the gums, to the floor of the mouth, the very soft tissue that basically would have been destroyed if there had been enough force from the blast to break the jaw. Okay, well, I trust his opinion. Mac McLeod, though, argued against that, saying that if Michelle had been hit, you would see bruising, you would see abrasion, you'd see something, there's nothing. Well, sir, you're an attorney, not a medical doctor, so stick to what you have a license in. Dr. Anderson has conducted about 8 to 9,000 autopsies over his career and says that if you die quickly enough, you will not have bruising. And I would have trust his or I would trust his opinion over Banks's defense attorney any day. Having gotten the answers the family was looking for, Michelle O'Connell's body was returned to her grave, but her death is still an open question for the family. So with this new information, surely St. John's County Sheriff's office reopened Michelle's case, right? Nope. They did jack shit. So in 2017, the Florida Medical Examiners Commission reprimanded both Hoban and Bulick, the two medical examiners, after determining they had mishandled some of the components of the investigation. Apparently, Hoban, you know, like I talked about earlier, had brought home some materials. Uh, They hadn't kept it in the medical examiner's office. And Bullock just apparently showed autopsy photos to people who weren't even members of his family. He's just running around showing autopsy photos to people, which is tacky and unprofessional. And I feel like um, you should get a little more than a slap on the wrist for. Hoban was also called out for his poor record keeping in failing to document the mandible fracture in his autopsy report. The sheriff's office said that. This case has been extensively reviewed by numerous investigators who have continually ruled the death as a suicide, which isn't true because I literally just told you about one who said there's no fucking way this is a suicide. Also in 2017, uh, a judge found that FDLE agent Rusty Rogers did have probable cause to detain Banks for homicide and like I said earlier, dismissed that case against him. The dismissal of the civil suit reinvigorated the O'Connell family, and they petitioned then-Governor Rick Scott, who's an asshole, to assign a new special prosecutor. I can say that I lived in Florida. He sucks. Because they work together and, you know, they look out for each other, I just feel like something's got to change. And Michelle's brother Sean said that. He's obviously concerned that it's a boys club and a fraternity and that they're going to help out their own. And I can see why he would think that because that's literally what the sheriff told Deborah to do. McLeod said this case has ruined Banks' life. The neighbors that walk up and down the street at 2 a.m. at night. Did he need to say that? 2 a.m. at night is not night, my friend. It's in the fucking morning. This guy's not that smart. And we'll scream at him, murderer. But Michelle O'Connell's family said it's her daughter, Alexis, who is suffering the most. And I can only imagine. She's had to grow up without a mother. And I'm sure she's had people tell her that her mother killed herself when her family doesn't believe that at all. And Patty O'Connell said, you can't grieve until you get justice. You have to have your justice and it never goes away. Jeremy Banks is still an officer with a badge and a gun, but he says Michelle's death in the investigation after just ruined his life. Michelle O'Connell's family and friends say they will never stop until someone listens to them. They will never give up until there's justice for Michelle. Hmm, so how do we feel? Uh, I don't think Michelle killed herself. Um, I'll say what I think happened, but don't take it as gospel because a, shir- a certain sheriff's department will take it real personally. I think that Michelle got a good job and realized that she was going to be financially stable, stable enough to live on her own. According to her siblings, Jeremy and Michelle had a pretty unstable, bad relationship, and her sister claimed that there was domestic violence going on. Michelle even told her sister that she was ready to leave on the very day that she died. I think that Michelle was already planning to leave on that day. And whatever arguments that she'd had with Jeremy at the concert, you know, throughout the day were just the last straw. Michelle did start to pack her things, which is evidenced by the police photos. I think she was probably inside trying to pack her things quickly while Jeremy was outside with his friends. When the friends left, I think he came into the house, saw that she was packing and getting ready to leave. And I think he hit her fracturing her jaw when he realized that he would likely lose his job and possibly face jail time for the assault. He grabbed his service weapon, put it in Michelle's mouth and pulled the trigger. I think that he chose to shoot her in the mouth because he thought that would destroy the evidence of the jaw fracture he'd inflicted, but he's stupid. Uh, afterward in a panic, he threw a blanket over the suitcases to hide them and put the pills into her purse and pocket. For what reason? I am not really sure. I guess he was trying to make it look like she was under the influence of a controlled substance, but obviously if she hadn't taken any, then an autopsy report would show that she hadn't. I don't know. He's stupid. Toxicology report. Anyway, then he called nine one one and played the part of the grieving boyfriend, although he didn't even attempt to save her life. So there it is. That's what I think happened. If you look at the evidence, it's a more likely scenario than a devoted single mother who just landed her dream job and had plans for the next week killing herself after a breakup with a boyfriend who she was already planning to leave. It makes no sense whatsoever. The only thing that concerned me slightly was the text message to her sister telling her to take care of her daughter if something happened. But the more I thought about it, I believe that Michelle was afraid for her life. You know, like if she left Jeremy, he, you know, was going to kill her. That's, that's what I think she was sending the text about. I think the investigation by the sheriff's office was an absolute joke,